it's ideal way of life and all of a sudden you are taken from it but yet for a greater purpose from the Jewish Food Society I'm Amanda Dell and this is Schmaltzy Today on Schmaltzy, restaurateur Bijay Barhani. Bijay is the chef-owner of Tzion Cafe, an Ethiopian restaurant and community space in Harlem. Additionally, she started the nonprofit Bina Cultural Foundation and created the Sheba Film Festival to celebrate and advocate for Ethiopian Jews. We'll hear Bijay's original live story, and then she'll meet me in the studio for an intimate conversation. Here's BJ from the stage at Jewish Food Society's first ever virtual schmaltzy event. I remember my childhood back in Ethiopia. I was four years old, running through the cornfield as I smelled the delicious dabo breaking in the air. I ran through the cornfield to my grandma's house. They were baking the dabo there and getting ready for Shabbat. I go quickly to the kitchen and ask my, my aunt, is the dabo ready? She would tell me it's not ready. I'll call you when it's ready. I go quickly to my favorite fruit tree, climb and look at the lush landscape of teff, corn. On the horizon, I see my favorite river where I used to dive with my friends. I finally hear her calling me in the distance. I go to the house and I see the whole entire family dressed, ready to welcome the Shabbat. I come from an ancient Jewish community in Ethiopia where welcoming the Shabbat was a great honor. The preparation took days. So we finally sat and had our delicious dinner together. Until one evening, In the middle of the night, my aunt woke me up. She said, get dressed, quickly, we're leaving. I was confused. I put my dress on, my shoes. She would take me and put me on the horse behind my grandma, and I start crying. I never had the chance to say goodbye to my friends or my favorite pet. What I didn't know as a four years old was that the whole entire community, village of 300 plus, was planning, were planning this for months to flee the Ethiopian regime and make Aliyah to Israel. If we were caught, we will be executed right away. And then began my difficult journey to the promised land. The journey to Sudan was very treacherous and dangerous. We walked through the desert for weeks. In some point, we ran out of water. We ended up digging for muddy water just to wet our lips to stay alive. The elder decided we're gonna camp, we're gonna rest today because today is the Shabbat. We're not gonna keep walking. 
So they decided to rest on the side road and welcome the Shabbat and even make double. You're probably wondering how you can bake a double in the middle of the desert. Well, very easy. You gather some wood. If you have a pot, you bake it right there. Nonetheless, the journey took us about three years. Three years wandering from Ethiopia to Sudan, Kenya, and Uganda. When I was seven years old, we finally arrived in Israel. I remember the crowd cheering for us, saying, Welcome. The elders were whipping and excited, kissing the ground out of joy. Myself, as a kid, very excited to be in a new country, uh, eventually meet new friends, and even to learn Hebrew. Quickly, after six months spending in the Ulpan, I was able to pick up Hebrew fast and eventually integrate with the native speakers. Uh, we finally felt at home, the promised land, Israel. It was great to be among Jews from all over the world. Quickly after, I wanted to integrate so fast to Israeli society that when I was 14, I decided to move to a kibbutz, work the land, live a cooperative way of living. There at the kibbutz, I met many kids from Russia to Morocco, Tunisia, and many more. And I had the opportunity to try food such as gefilte fish, malawak, jachnon, couscous, and even had the opportunity to share my delicious dabo with my new friends. Life at the kibbutz was beautiful. Of course, like typical Israeli, when I turned 18, I had to join the army. After the service in the army, like my other friends in the kibbutz, I decided that I wanted to go and explore the world to become a wandering Jew, but this time on my own terms. And here I go, I decided to go and travel in South America. The travel in South America impacted me greatly. The different connection that I made with different peoples, the hospitality, the welcoming. And in some point I recall, as I made my journey to Machu Picchu, I did the Inca Trail. On the roadside, I meet this lady and somewhat we end up chatting. I told her that I was an Ethiopian Jew. She was so excited that she ended up inviting me to her house, holding a whole feast. It kind of took me back to my childhood back in Ethiopia, the hospitality, the welcoming, where our house was always open for weary travelers to come and rest, drink some water, and then continue on their travel. But when I finally returned to Israel, the connection, the magic, somewhat was gone. My community, the Ethiopian Jewish community, been discriminated towards. If it's in housing, police, I felt disappointed. But one incident, the straw that broke the back of the camel, I would say, is the blood scandal, where a donated blood by Ethiopian Jews to save other Jews was thrown to the trash. 
I was devastated to hear the news. I love Israel, and we made a long journey to arrive there. Israel is a country that molded me to be the person who I am, but yet it hurt me, it hurt my community. At this moment, somehow I decided to relocate again, and this time in New York. I come to New York in the early 2000s, trying to find a community, but I didn't find it at first. So then I realized I had to create my community. And this is where I decided to open Zion Cafe in Harlem, a place where I can celebrate my rich, diverse identity, a place where you can eat injera with shakshuka, with malawach, and welcome the Shabbat with double bread and honey wine with Jews from all over the diaspora. A place where you stop wondering and you proudly celebrate your rich heritage with your fellow Jews. Hi, BJ. Hey, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I want to start at the beginning of your story. After three years of harrowing travel, as you describe, when you're such a young child, bring us to that moment when you finally reached Israel. What were you feeling? It was exciting to land in Ben-Gurion, uh, all the cheerings, and I was ecstatic, happy. I say, whoa, now is another place to be at. But the elders, it was a whole uh, circle of, you know, closing a circle that they've been yearning for thousands of years to return to the promised land, and they've made it. It was emotional, exciting, happy, all of that. And given how young you were, you were able to understand that Israel was your new home. As a child, I have those sweet, vivid uh, memories of, you know, uh, playing with my uh, small pets at uh, the calf and, you know, picking up the different fruits from the tree. Uh, it's ideal way of life. And all of a sudden, you are taken from it, but yet for a greater purpose, which is somewhat, you know, yeah, it's okay. I let it be. I think something better will happen in the future. Because, you know, there's always stories. Uh, back in Ethiopia, we're going to make it to our forefathers. We're going to meet our different brothers and sisters from the diaspora. Uh, Jerusalem of gold, of honey and milk. Not really, but yet that's the holy land where we're supposed to be and celebrate and practice Judaism uh, freely. So there was a big buildup, like going to Israel, that was something that was spoken about in your community frequently before you made the journey. That's right. And, you know, what it is, is I had uncles and cousins that emigrated to Israel in the 60s and 70s, and they keep corresponding with us and letting us know, mm -hmm. yeah, this is the time you should be here with us. So it was a joyous, not just uh, to be in Israel, uh, eventually fulfilling a prom prophecy and all of that, but is to meet family members that have been in Israel for years. What do you think the decision-making process was when you left? 
you know, in the middle of the night, as you described, since you had some family there, it seemed like they were telling you to come. Like, how do you think your family made the decision that night and the community made the decision that night? Why was that the time? I guess, you know, it's um, the elders of the community gather. Uh, they had to hire people to show the roads and uh, collect some money to pay those people. And you wanted to make sure it's in a time that is a full moon, is easily easy to walk, uh, so you're not spotted when you're walking at night. All of the stuff had to come uh, under consideration. Uh, and y- you want to do it when it's a dry season. It's a lot of element to have a safe journey, to make sure maybe, you know, uh, there is no barricade or border control around that time. It was a lot of investigation and planning that probably took for months. Uh, for me, it was just that night. What surprised you about being a Jew in Israel? For me, for Ethiopian Jewish community that practiced uh, Judaism, you know, at heart, uh, very strictly in a way, in Ethiopia, welcoming the Shabbat was a whole ceremony of uh, stopping any labor or anything like it. E- even, I would say, starting on ter- uh, st- Thursday and preparing for the Shabbat, uh, putting your best robes and going and uh, cleaning in the river and all of that stuff. And when is uh, uh, the sun is almost coming down, uh, uh, the, the elders, the guests, will uh, blow the horn that is or ring the bell that Shabbat is here and everybody dressed beautifully uh, will start walking towards the synagogue and, of course, ho- holding a, a, a double bread, which is going to be blessed together uh, as a communal for the community after the prayers are done. Uh, so you see line of people dressed beautifully going to the synagogue and people are chanting, going there, start the praying, praying, of course, uh, facing uh, east to Jerusalem. After the pray, they will do the blessing on the dabos. And we're talking about a lot of dabos from different households. Uh, and so, so the guests will bless on it. And some portion you will leave at the synagogue for people in need. And after that, after this that blessing of the dabo or drink, uh, drinking the wine, people will go back and have uh, a delicious meal for their uh, with their family. So when we finally, you know, arrived to Israel, uh, a lot of components were kind of shocking to us. Uh, one thing I would say is of people driving on a Shabbat is unheard of. What? We are here in Jerusalem in the promised land. Israel and people are driving on a Shabbat. So that was shocking uh, to us as an Ethiopian that, you know, did so much practice of Judaism back then. And now here, Israel is so secular that it's completely different than we expected. As we know from your story, you came to Israel, you then became part of the community there, you learned Hebrew, you went to school, and a central part of your story that you shared with us was, you know, about the the racism that you experienced in Israel. Well, when we first immigrated to Israel in 1983, a lot of the white Israeli uh, had no knowledge of the existence of black people. So they will call names, uh, vice versa, we will call them name. Uh, it's that notion of the unknown, uh, somebody uh, that looked different, you know, you start calling them name because you don't know any better. Uh, yeah, 
can I call it ignorance? Yeah, but it's not an excuse. You have to educate yourself and do better than that. I mean, Ethiopian Jews, yeah, went through a lot of uh, issues in the process of integration to Israeli society. Um, they were not Jewish enough in a way that they had somewhat to go to some semi-conversion in order to be fully accepted, which is a community that ancient Jewish community had been practicing Judaism for thousands of years uh, mm. and practicing a lot of elements, traditions that when we eventually immigrated to Israel were not there and come and question the Jewishness aspect is a bit, uh, it was too much uh, to bear in a way. Uh, they, we did not anticipate that, uh, you know, we, we had, we sacrificed whatever uh, in order to be there. Um, but at a point where you're not seen equally Jewish enough, that was bothersome, really traveling, uh, troubling to a lot of people. Uh, to some instance, at some point that the first groups were taken to um, the mikvehs, uh, you know, to go through the process of conversion without their knowledge. Uh, you don't do those kind of stuff, you know? It's not right. It's unethical. But nonetheless, people, my parents, my grandma, my aunties, uh, will do whatever it takes for Israel. They love Israel. How would you describe the current state of the Ethiopian community and their place in Israeli society? I guess after uh, 40 years, um, I see a greater integration, a hope for Ethiopian Jews. Of course, we have other issues, different issues and stuff, but I'm going to focus on the um, progress of uh, Ethiopian uh, culinary, Ethiopian food, which is a uh, exciting to see how it's becoming part of the mainstream of Israeli uh, cuisine. I'm happy to see that there's a lot of Ethiopian restaurant opening. A lot of people go to Ethiopian restaurant, not only Ethiopian, uh, but uh, white Israelis and uh, all of that. Today you call New York home. Yes. How would you describe the differences between being a black Jewish woman in New York versus in Israel? I mean, you know, I, yeah, I am a black Jewish woman everywhere. Uh, in Israel, I'm the Ethiopian Jewish woman. Here, I'm a black Jewish woman. I am very proud of my identity, my heritage, and my history. And that's why I opened Zion Cafe and called it Zion. Zion is Mount Zion, is a holy place that we all uh, yarn uh to be at Zion is Israel, in a way, you know, uh, the promised land. So with all the difficulties, uh, what have you, uh, very much proud to be Jewish, black woman, Israeli, Ethiopian, you name it, New Yorker. I'm all of that. And I'm celebrating it through the different type of food that I serve at Zion Cafe. Um, and I talk about it and I showcase it proudly. Tell us more about being a chef and a restaurateur and how all of these different threads of your identity coexist on the table at Sion Cafe. Um, I'm very passionate about showcasing my Jewish identity, diversity, and how do I celebrate it with my fellow Jews throughout the diaspora. When we talk about Jewish, uh, 
is a Jewish only challah and uh, matzah balls or gefilte fish? No, Jewish is malawach and jera and you name it. And it could be even jollof rice. You see, that's that's how we should celebrate it easily through food in order for people really to grasp and respect one another. A very simple way to just to celebrate who we are. I want to talk a little bit more actually about the menu. Tell me how you thought about the menu as you were conceiving it. I basically uh, wanted to um, showcase my journey throughout life and that the starting point will be Ethiopia. Of course, that is the base for a lot of uh, dishes you will see. And then throughout the journey in the different countries uh, that I've been touched or influenced by, if it's even living in Sudan for three years, which I loved eating a lot of fool and a lot of hummus. I don't have hummus at my place, but I have something with the, you know, chickpeas and stuff like that. Or eventually making it to Israel and, you know, uh, being introduced to a lot of dishes and growing up in a kibbutz and going to my friend's home, eating malawach or or Jachnun at their house for Shabbat, uh, or Kube, all of that stuff. I said, this is who I am. I've been, you know, I've been touched by all those different beautiful uh, experiences. And how do I manifest it here in Zion Cafe in Harlem? And that's what it came about. Well, why did you choose to open Zion Cafe in Harlem? I, we decided, my husband and I decided to open Zion Cafe. We live, I live not far from there. Mm-hmm. I wanted to um, bring something wholesome, y- unique, uh, healthy uh, to the community. But yet, uh, I didn't know. I, we just uh, found out that after we opened that particular venue, used to be Jimmy's Chicken Shack, uh, all time uh, jazz club, Speak Easy, where, uh, Charlie Parker will work there and listen to Art Tatum, the grace pianist, and uh, Billie Holiday, Hazel Scott. They all would perform there. And, of course, Malcolm X and Red Fox, the comedian, work there in the kitchen. Uh, and it came about that, wow, incredible. So why not really celebrate that as well? And we decided to have a component where we have live music, um, jazz, and open uh, mic uh, poetry and so forth. Uh, if it's uh, using the space for art gallery, Uh, from local artists. So we wanted to be part of the community and celebrate the history of the community, yet uh, bring something unique uh, that, you know, uh, tells my story of uh, being uh, Ethiopian Jewish uh, black woman living in Harlem. What are some of the dishes that you typically make for your family at home? My family, um, they like a lot of the doro tips. Chicken uh, cubes, so they are marinated in herbs and wine and all of that stuff. And we saute them with uh, Ethiopian clarified butter, spices, uh, onion, tomatoes, bell peppers, all of that stuff. Delicious uh, uh, chicken. And you can serve it either with injera, mm-hmm. injera bread. Injera is an Ethiopian traditional flat bread that takes about three to five days to make. And with a side of vegetable, if it's collard green, uh, or cabbage, or even ground chickpeas. Uh, we call it shiro, uh, which is uh, the equivalency in a way of hummus, but a lot more apanach with Ethiopian spices and flavors. And of course, we have the red lentils too, which is delicious and spicy. This year, 
obviously in particular, has presented like unprecedented challenges for restaurant owners. Like, how have you stayed afloat? It was uh, a tough year, but we um, somewhat managed really to maneuver. We had to kind of shrink our menu. So when you saw online, it wasn't a lot of items, very essential and something that will represent us. I had to cut to slim it down. Uh, and we kind of cut our hours. Uh, what we, the other thing we did is we partnered with a nonprofit organization uh, to uh, provide meal for essential workers and mm. uh, so forth. And we were able to you know, generate income and have our workers come back and and work. So that been uh, you know kind of sustaining us somewhat for the last year. Uh, and of course, there were a lot of generous uh, donors and people that wanted us to stay open and did donate and tell us, "Here, I give you this money. Just make some meal, give it to people. Make sure you have your workers there and all of that." So that's kind of kept us uh, there. Would you say the past year has changed you? Yeah. I mean, you cannot take life for granted. Enjoy it. Uh, live as much as you can. What I say live is be kind, generous, uh, courteous. Uh, be patient. Listen to others and try to understand and respect them. Is there anything else that you would want people to know who haven't visited Sion Cafe about why you started it, the motivation behind it. I want them to come in and uh, really, the moment they step at the door, just to feel uh, the, the comfort, the welcoming, uh, the good vibration, that there are good spirits in there. I mean, the energy is very positive. So, you know, it's positive space uh, that celebrate Jewish cuisine, Jewish diaspora, and uh, planning to be there for many years. Nothing makes me happier than hearing that. Sounds good to me. Well, BJ, thank you so much for sharing your story and talking with us today. Well, thank you for having me. Be sure to check out BJ's recipe for Dabo bread and more on her incredible story on our digital archive at jewishfoodsociety.org. Speaking of stories... Drop us a note at hi at jewishfoodsociety.org and tell us who you want on the show. We'll do our best to make it happen. Schmaltzy is a production of Jewish Food Society, made with love in NYC. Also, we're still a little new around here. Be sure to follow and rate us on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you get this show. Schmaltzy is produced and edited by Freetime Media. Our executive producer is Nama Shafi, and our theme music is by Yuval Semo. Until next time, I'm your host, Amanda Dell.